Are we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. How? What the fuck? WTF. And it's also, eh, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF. What the fuck? With Mark Marin. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuckaholics? What the fuckstables? How's it going? Shalom. Shalom to you all. I say, as a Jew who just went to his niece's bat mitzvah. I was at a bat mitzvah. I was at a Jewish family event. And I got to tell you, as a Jew, I'm all filled up with Jew for the year. I'm done Jewing it for the year. I, I am putting a moratorium on the Jewness for me. Outside of the Jew emitting from me always that I try to keep under wraps, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to taper off a little bit. I'm, I'm all filled with Jew right now. And... I, I, I had a good time. I learned some things. I was surprised at some things. Today on the show, Danny McBride is here. I'll talk about the Jew thing in just a second. Uh, I'd like to tell you about the first 100 episodes on DVD. Still a few left. It's available now. That's 100 episodes, MP3 files with a hour plus video of a live WTF we did in Brooklyn with Ira Glass and Artie Lang. That's available from AST Records. You can go to astrecords.com slash WTF, or you can go to uh, wtfpod.com and pick that up. A lot of good feedback for that. Glad you enjoy it. Love the packaging. It's exciting. Oh, I just wanted to throw this out there. This is an unsolicited uh, promo from my heart. Uh, Friend of the show. Hannibal Burris, maybe you remember him. I've, I've had him on the live one. I've had him on a one-on-one. Uh, his uh, special is on Comedy Central tonight, if you want to watch that. Um, he reminded me of that. And uh, I thought, well, okay, sure, man. Hannibal's funny. Let's throw him a bone. The uh, Chris Cooper, Coop, the artist, the amazing poster artist and painter, uh, did a, a poster for me, a sort of odd rod pick of me in a, uh, a Plymouth with smoke and fury and all of that. Uh, the t-shirts are, are available now at WTFpod.com slash merch. The bitchin' kick-ass hot rod 70s retro. I think they are. I remember buying these when I was younger. Uh, t-shirts are available at the site. You can get them in a baseball jersey with black sleeves or just a plain white t-shirt. Very proud of those shirts. Very excited. Which sort of kind of segues in to the bat mitzvah. How does a hot rod segue into the bat mitzvah? Well, I went out to Phoenix. I rented uh, a car, but the last time I was in Phoenix, I remember they had these uh, cool cars on display. They had three or four of these uh, beautiful new, they had the uh, the Mustang 5.0, they had the new Camaro, they had the new Charger, the new Challenger. Just fucking hot, just motorized cock cars with the big engines, the V8s. I look at those things, I'm like, well, that's interesting, but what kind of guy buys a car like that? A douchebag, right? That's a douchebag car. That's a that's a guy with a, a tiny dick. That's a guy that, uh, you know, just uh, is trying to impress people with uh, his, his motorized, uh, high-powered cock extension. I condescended those cars, but they stuck in my brain, man, because I went back this time with Jessica, and before I even got off the plane, I'm like, I'm going to ask about those cars this time, and I went up to the gold counter. I said, what's it take to get one of the, uh, one of the, one of the toys out there, and the guy said 50 bucks a day, and, and I don't know what the fuck I was thinking, but I'm like, yeah, let's do it. Which one do you want, he says. I'm like, I'll take the Mustang, the one with the stripe. 
I want the one with the stripe on it. I want a race car. So I got the Mustang, and I'm not a car guy, man. I got a Camry. It's beat up. When I buy cars, I want reasonably priced cars that I don't give a shit about. So when it starts to turn shitty, I don't care. That's the way I am with automobiles, all right? That was until I got into this Mustang, this cobalt blue Mustang with a white racing stripe down it, leather seats. You just turn that thing on. I don't even know what a 5.0 is. Don't, I have no idea. But I pulled out of that garage. I got that thing on the road, and it was asking me to drive it fast. There was just something about the engine, the way it sounded, that I just was like, I would just put my foot on the gas pedal. and was like, let's do this, man. Don't be a pussy. Fucking push it out. And I got on that highway, and it just went from zero to 100 in like six, seven seconds. And I was flying, and I felt great. And then I thought, am I that guy? No, dude, you're not that guy. You're, you're in the, the, the fortunate position where you just rented a full-blown midlife crisis. You got the young girlfriend, fine. You don't have a lot of money, fine. You're kind of subverting your midlife crisis a bit. You're in denial that you're having it. But you're renting a full-blown midlife crisis for the weekend. Enjoy yourself. You're supposed to say, fuck it, let's just keep going, man. Let's just keep going. Let's drive through the south. Let's go up the coast. Let's take it in. Let's just run out of gas and live there wherever we run out of gas. Yeah, until Hertz calls. But I I, I found it uh, tremendously exciting. So I went to this bat mitzvah and it was, I tell you, when you're a Jew, if you go to large Jewish family events, it's almost, especially if you're not a Jewy Jew, like I'm not, it's almost like you're observing the the full life cycle of the Jewish person. You're actually seeing like, hey, I wonder what a sense of entitlement looks like at every phase during its development. And, you know, you start with, you know, uh, whining that you want things and then you start, it just sort of evolves into you whining about everything and then whining about things going away and then again whining about wanting things very interesting the evolution of the sense of entitlement through the years is all on display but my niece had a great time it was actually very exciting for me uh, to see a bunch of 13 year olds dancing with the you know sort of no uh, cynicism no like all the girls danced together and were singing all the guys danced together there were those few bold guys that would kind of try to move into the girls area not really sure what they were doing there but knew that it was important we're feeling the beginnings of urges that would you know most likely later destroy their lives one way or the other on both sides just uncorrupted childlike bliss just teenagers not quite blossomed having a good time before everything turns to shit because of what's in their pants. And it's interesting to be in a sanctuary, in a meditative place, in a a religious space, but in a space that's designed for a community to, to ground themselves with a God that they believe in. Now, I don't have a God I believe in, but I always loved the melody of the Kaddish, the mourner's prayer, and I found myself sort of just doing it. You know, I, I mean, I, I like to sing it, and I started thinking about some of the people I've known that have died over the last you know couple of years. Comics I know, Patrice and Greg and Robert and Mike and you know people that I've known in my past. And I and I just sort of let myself and let my heart and my thoughts go there during the Kaddish. And I thought like, wow, I'm actually using this religion right now. I'm taking the tools 
and I'm applying them and I'm meditating with this prayer that I don't understand for the reason it was used for. It was cathartic in a very subtle way. And then I went outside and I got into my Mustang. <laughs> Go right from morning into, you know, just overdrive. So needless to say, I've had enough Judaism. Uh, I'm not going to buy a Mustang, though I'm tempted. I do not have the money, but it was enjoyable to uh, to to do that. It was fun. Like there was uh, moments in the Mustang where people would look at the car, look at me as if it were my car, and I didn't shrug and go, it's a rental. I just owned it, tried to feel what it would feel like to own a car like that, decided it would feel ridiculous. And the beautiful thing about that car was when I returned it, I was wondering when I had it, how many people went ahead and upgraded. And I returned it and there were no less than three dudes about my age with with their wives returning this car. And I saw a dude returning his right next to mine. And uh, he was sort of looking at it and I was looking at him. I go, pretty fun car, huh? He goes, yeah. And he, it was almost, there was a moment in his eyes where I could tell that he, uh, it almost it almost looked like he was breaking up with somebody, that they just had no choice but to lead separate lives. And I kind of felt the same way. So that's that, that's my touching story about Judaism and, uh, and cars. But that's what happens. You start off an innocent 13-year-old, excited about you know, making a few bucks, getting through the prayers, dancing with your friends in an almost blissful innocence that has not become, you know, permanently corrupted by desires you can honor and then uh, it ends up uh, you know in a mustang sort of sublimating those desires and then it just eventually ends up with you sitting down holding on to your chair all right let's talk to the star of eastbound and down and uh he had a tremendous role in tropic thunder uh he was great and up in the air very sweet guy uh, transcended all my expectations lovely conversation let's talk to Danny McBride you need those those are uh, old cartridges printer cartridges down there it's good <laughs> I, I, like, I like to keep an array of shit so people can kind of play when they get nervous and a fish. wooden yeah. steak no this yeah. is half a hammer <laughs> oh yeah, yeah of course sure. it is yeah, yeah, that makes more sense doesn't it <laughs> Got some guitar strings, anything you need. A brand new phone. Sure, you can make a call on the old timey phone. I like it. Do you even have a phone anymore? Do you no. have a home phone? No. Walkie talkies. Oh, good for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, just so the house is that big, you're mm-hmm. doing all right for yourself. Get it going, yeah. <laughs> you just like, uh, I appreciate you coming over. Danny McBride is in my garage. Do you like it? You all right with it? It's the shit. This did is you, how garages should look. I like you, it. Did you expect it to be like this? Uh, it's even more magical than I had imagined. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is my entire life in books and things I haven't read. This I is a, a life uh, lived with uh, aspirations to it, read things. It's nice. This is a good place to hide from the rest of the world. I like it. It's books, cozy. Yeah. Guitars. We're ready to go. It's great. So wait, now, where do you live? Uh, I live in Hollywood right now. Yeah. yeah. Me and my wife uh, live in the middle of Hollywood. We have a five-month-old son. Really? Yeah. yeah. So you're not sleeping? No, we have a loft, so we we know that we need walls. That's the one. That's the one thing we've learned with the, <laughs> with the kid. That, we, the, that artist lifestyle goes out the fucking window when you have a five month old. <laughs> you're like, we have to stop this noise somehow. Yeah, we it, need a partition. You know what? Maybe walls would be good. Yeah. So you just live in one loft. It's like a, a like a what is it? A, it is a, it a house or is it the no, top of it's a building? Like, it's in that old. Yeah, oh, right, 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 right. Yeah, I'll, I'll bleep that out. I don't need you. You, yeah. know, you don't want... My address is 16. <laughs> <laughs> we heard you on the podcast. Hold you... your baby up. <laughs> 
But where did you, you you don't come from? You come from the South, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I live. I uh, I grew up in Virginia. Was born in Georgia, and uh, we actually have a place back in Virginia still. We try to get back there as much as we can. Really? Yeah. Because you got people back there. I do. My family's all back there. Like a lot of the guys I grew up with still live back there. Now I can't like see. I have a thing with the South because I've I've spent time down there. I'm fascinated with it. I I've decided that people that come from the South have a a more defined personality because of their regional affiliation with that whole fucking trip down there. <laughs> Like, is, do you know, am I making sense? No, you are making sense. Like, I get you, it. You're a guy, you arrive on the scene, you're like, he's fully formed. Yeah. He, you know, he's got a point of view, he's got an attitude, and it seems to have something to do with the South. Yeah, well, you know, there's not a lot to do down there, so you have a lot of time to focus on how you're going to be presented to the world when you arrive. <laughs> it yeah. just forms through driving around in trucks and yeah, drinking. Exactly. and drinking. Lots of drinking. <laughs> but you grew up in uh, in which part exactly? I grew up in Fredericksburg, Virginia, which is a about an hour south of D.C. Yeah. Uh, big Civil War town. Right. They do reenactments, they right? They do. They or do is that, is that That's where that happens? Yeah. The Battle of Fredericksburg happened there. Uh, and then, like, you know, I, I think combined all the wars there. It's like the bloodiest <laughs> ground in North Right America. there? Right there, Just yeah. drenched with uh, American upon American uh, Comes violence? through the cracks of the walls. Do you know anything about the Civil War? You know, when you grew up there, you were forced to, like, learn about the Civil War. I mean, it's like, that's kind of lame living in a historical town because yeah. when you're a kid and you go on field trips, you literally go, like, five minutes away from where you live. Like <laughs> We're taking a field trip to this guy's yeah. house. <laughs> His backyard was a scene of a, an amazing execution. <laughs> but there's all sorts of crazy history there. I mean, I, I bartended down uh, in that town for a little bit when things weren't going so cool in Los Angeles, and... Uh, I met this guy that like, well, had you know graduated from college there. He, yeah, he lived and he lived still in the downtown area. And him and his friends one day digging in their backyard started to find all these fucking corpses of uh, like like bones of you know humans yeah. in there. And they had like one of the guys was an archaeologist, and he realized that like yeah. this was a hospital where they had like you know this is where they really they had buried oh, they right. had buried some dead soldiers. And these guys had such a good rate on their rent that they didn't like let their landlord know until they were ready to move because they knew it would be claimed by the government. <laughs> so they just, when they get high, they bring people out like, yeah. don't tell anybody about this, man. There's nothing but bones in here. Yeah, there's a lot of weird stuff like that. Like there's another big deal down there. It's like all those battlefields are there and it's you're not allowed to go metal detecting on battlefields it's like it's, it's against the law against the law you can like lose your home and everything and then i would know these guys who would like invest in these night vision goggles go out in the middle of the night and just yeah. try to elude these rangers and like to find belt buckles and bullets did and they like, find you oh all the time and they would risk losing their homes just to find a you know the <laughs> bayonet a, of, a, uh, of an old musket that's, that's a whole new angle like usually with the metal detector you picture the old guy on the beach but yeah. these guys are like no we gotta stay down <laughs> they're out there doing you know that's hilarious but okay so now but what like i don't know much about the civil war under the other than like from my point of view the the right side won yes but down there it's not always the point of view well you know it's like i think the the south definitely gets a uh you know obviously there you know everyone knows what the south was fighting for and everyone in the south isn't proud of that you know the south is a place definitely that isn't the same as it is portrayed like you know 56 years ago it's right, definitely right. grown a lot of people that right. live there aren't from there didn't grow up there right know. right i don't even you go down to the south i like i have a younger sister who's just now like 19 years old and she doesn't have a southern accent it's like really no they all you know like that's something do, that also disappears everyone do they give classes now to get rid of it to get rid of it from <laughs> from the gate i think they just watch mtv and they all just like they're from the fucking hills that's what everyone no matter where they live sounds <laughs> that, like that's true <laughs> I, I think they like the, the characterization of the south and i try not to condescend to it too much but it's always if someone's 
going to do a dumb character as a stand-up. So I was like, what's up? You yeah. know, it's always that guy. Did you ever know a comic named Killer Bees? No. There, there's a regional comic <laughs> named Killer Bees. It only works this out. Uh, uh, his, he had a tagline. It's save up. You better save up. <laughs> like after every. <laughs> better save up. You better save Prepare. up. Yeah. <laughs> So wait, now you were bartending when you when things weren't going well in LA. So how many times have you taken a crack at this thing out here? Uh, tons of times. I moved out here in '99, and uh, right after I got a film school, and but, I, I but never... that was before uh, uh, Foot Fist Way. That was that the Foot Fist Way was the last escape from LA, and then it was like that's the one where it was like I I literally moved out of Los Angeles, like fuck this town, I'm done with this, and uh, right and out of film school. So is that where you met the, your crew? Yeah, that's where I met all the guys: Jody, David Green, all the guys that right, I worked right. with. Yeah, we all met there and and that was where that was the north carolina school of the arts this little film school that we were like the third class to graduate from this was brand new film school there Uh yeah and and was that okay so that was undergraduate right yeah yep so you moved out here like right after film school like fuck it i'm doing it here we go we we moved out here like 30 guys and like after the first six months there was like 10 of us left (laughs) how did they fall off like how what was the timing like one guy last a month like this is i can't i I equated to like uh, the what it must have been like for the soldiers to storm the beach at north Normandy, where everyone's just quiet in this, you know, waiting. Like, this is going to be all of our dreams, In the right? amphibious vehicle, yeah. right before the gates. And then you see guys get shot in the water, guys don't even make it to the beach, and that's that was kind of like what it was like for a lot of my southern friends when they moved to Los Angeles. Yeah. Yeah. You always feel bad for the guy that takes the bullet before the thing even drops yeah. open. Just about to get up. Boom, he's done. He never made it out of his waiting tables job at Crocodile Cafe. Like... <laughs> So oh, that's, but I, it's a hard town. I'm not, can, can you put your finger on why it's hard? I think it has to do with expectation. I mean, guys who don't, like, who, who, who can't handle it within months, I don't know what they were expecting. Yeah. Well, you know, when you, you know, especially at that school, we're, you know, it's going to school with a bunch of people from that area. Yeah. You're, you're so far from the entertainment industry. You have no idea what it's going to be like. Yeah. And you're also come like in my town, it's like I was the only kid I knew who wanted to make movies, you know? Right. And suddenly you move to a town where every single person you meet wants to make movies. And that, that takes a little bit of getting used to it. It's like, a sting, right? Yeah, Because you're, you're special where you come from. Yeah. But out, out here, you're just like, yeah, get online. Time it doesn't. Did you write anything? <laughs> but that guy, David Gordon Green, and, and your other friend, who is it, Jody West? Jody Hill. Close. Jody Hill? Yeah. Watch, I'm going to fix it right now. And your other friend, Jody Hill, he <laughs> we just cut that shit, man. <laughs> I love it. But... uh he, you guys all, you graduated at the same time and you came out at the same time? D- David graduated a year before Jody and I, and uh, Jody and I graduated the same year. And uh, yeah, David, the he graduated a year before us, came out to LA, so he kind of was the uh, the scout mission. He kind of like gave us the lay of the land. And then we but, came back and shot George Washington, uh, and that's the movie that kind of launched David's career. Well, that's it's sort of interesting with him because, you know, he was uh, heralded as this, you know, the next Terrence Malick. This guy's, a, you know, an art filmmaker. And, what, and you dragged him down into comedy? I fucked his whole <laughs> no, he. Uh, you know, at, at school he made these really fucking weird, yeah. strange comedies. Yeah. Like yeah. It, the, my first year of film school, the first thing I ever saw at that school was it was his film called "Will You Lather Up My Rough House," and it was about these two dudes who live together and make soap. And it was just like the the strangest, weirdest comedy ever. And so when he got all these accolades for these art films, it was kind of funny knowing that you know underneath it's like you know this guy is going to make some crazy shit that people are not going to be able to get their heads around. What did, did you uh, did did he know that? Is he happier doing comedy? You know, I think he's the type of guy where I, I, I bet you he doesn't do comedies for a while. I mean, I think he's he want. I mean, he has so many weird ideas of stuff. He wants to do Suspiria. I mean, he just wants to kind of bounce all over the place. Suspiria. Yeah, you remember that? that? Remember there was like a, an old Italian film, and he's like wants to do a remake of an old Italian horror film. Oh, really? Yeah, and so. 
I don't know. I feel like he's gonna. I wouldn't doubt him doing a western, a weird sci-fi. I mean, he he yeah, kind of so wants just, to bounce. He just wants place. to be like uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. He's or, a fucking weirdo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so when you're in uh, when you're growing up in the South, there, well, I, I'm just trying to picture you because I see I've, I I only watch you on television, mm-hmm. see you in movies. So I've decided who you are. Okay, of course. Yeah. Uh, so I picture you like, uh, come on, fuck it, let's go, <laughs> and <laughs> you go out in the truck and you you knock uh, mailboxes off and stuff like that with bats and. This is going to be super disappointing to yeah. you. I drove a uh, Ford Escort. Oh, boy. Red Ford Escort. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I did uh, drama in high school. Oh, you're, <laughs> you're not the man that I... Do, do musicals? And, and, and the, no musicals. All right, well, at least you drew a And those dudes that, that, that drove the trucks, they would fuck with me. That, oh, really? That, yeah. Yeah, I, I, was, I was not... I was not... Uh, no? Like a junior version of Kenny Powers when I was a kid. So, no. well, that's what... I think that's what makes Kenny Powers so appealing <laughs> is that uh, the little drama guy inside... <laughs> That, at the core of all that badass, little is just, nerd. <laughs> drama, really? So you were at war with the jocks in high school? Uh, you know, I was just a kid who was like, I was just into movies all, all growing up. Like I wasn't into sports or anything. I mean, I had like one other buddy who loved movies as much as me, and you know, I would see movies all the time. And drama was just like a weird way of like, all right, this is somehow connected to what I want to do ultimately. With you know, but I, I kind of always saw myself more like behind the camera. I never really thought I would be involved with any sort of acting at all. Really? Uh, no, never. And even when I went to film school, I was going there to, you know, direct and write. And uh, and I ended up just acting in things for David and ultimately Foot Fist Way for Jody, literally because we just didn't know actors. We had, right, right. We had no connection to any actors. And, you know, I had written the script, so I was like, well, I can memorize the lines. That will be one step. You know, we don't have to worry about that part of it. <laughs> so, you, so you had no sense that you were a, a comedic no. powerhouse? No, not not at that age. But now I'm fully, I fully realize this. <laughs> <laughs> you've you've made some other people money. Mm-hmm. That, that's a, that's a coronation. Yeah, exactly. this guy's guaranteed laughs. <laughs> but when how was uh, what was your uh, family like? What, what was the racket there? What was it? Did you grow up with any uh, like drama? No, no, no real drama. I mean, it's <laughs> or like uh, entertainment. No, no entertainment. I mean, like the closest thing to entertainment was when I was a kid. We went to church like all the time, and my mom like. Was, did like puppet ministry. She like did like she what? would write uh, like these little like you know two minute little like Bible lessons and then do puppets in oh, front of the church did, for the kids. Were they puppets that she made or they, they were puppets that she purchased? Uh, and, bought uh, puppets. But I think she she put chose their outfits that they wore and stuff. You know, oh, yeah, it's yeah, pretty cool. What religion was that? Uh, we were went to, grew up at going to a Baptist church. Really? Yeah. So both your folks are Baptists? Yeah, yeah. But, you know, my my parents got divorced when I was, like, in sixth grade, and uh, we tried to go back to church, but then everyone was just kind of—they were—in the South, they're assholes when you get divorced. Oh, you didn't hang in. Yeah, yeah. you, you didn't stick it, it, it out. It, 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 it was a slow drop-off. Like We noticed that my mom was just dropping me and my sister off at church for a few months, and then, then it just turned like, well, if she's not going, why the fuck do we have to go? And then it was all over. If, if she's lost her faith, well, how is she yeah. going to try to convince us that it's the right thing to do? The judgmental churchgoers won. Yeah. So yeah, do you have a relationship with both your parents? Uh, I do, I do. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm closer to my mom. I uh, I see her more often, but uh, my my dad lives down in Florida, and uh, oh, that's already a yeah, yeah Florida's yeah, yeah, it's gross. It's the poor man's California. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I have no idea what's going on down there. My mother lives down there too, and I I fluctuate between like yeah, this place has got its own thing. It's fucking weird. Yeah, and between that and like I gotta get the fuck out of here. Exactly. We did. Some, I did some time there for a little bit in sixth grade. I lived in a weird place called Delta. Tona, which is like halfway between Daytona and Orlando, and yeah, yeah, it well, sucked. Yeah. <laughs> it was terrible. What's, what's his What's his business? Uh, I don't know what he does now. At one point, he was like a manufacturing crossbows, I think, and I'm not sure what what the hell his gig is now. 
That was a booming uh, yeah. you know, business idea. Yeah, it really so, was. Was he a big ideas guy? My dad's a big ideas guy. Because I don't. that sounds like one of those ones you don't follow through on. No, you don't. I'm not sure how <laughs> well that- manufacture crossbow. <laughs> it's going to be the next big- It's going to be bigger than nunchucks. <laughs> it's true. They are. <laughs> well, there's that whole world of hunters that believe in that. Like, it's the righteous way to kill something. Yeah. With it, a crossbow or just a regular bow. But of a, course. A crossbow is the one that you shoot, right? Yeah, a crossbow, you, sh- you yeah, you shoot it. Yeah. It did, seems... did you have those in your past? <laughs> I didn't. I, I want one, though. I've always wanted one. Like a double-barreled crossbow I thought would be cool. And your mom still lives in- uh, she, lives in she lives in Virginia, yeah, with my stepdad and- uh, yeah, and my sister lives there, and I have a younger sister who's in college that goes to college in Virginia. So life is pretty much exactly how it was when I left there. So yeah. there's a few more Best Buys and Targets there. Isn't that weird, though, that you go – like I've noticed that a lot because I travel, that there's no place that has any sort of indigenous feel to it. you got to go hunting for, like, the barbecue place. You yeah. got to you know, you got to find – yeah, there's one at this guy's house. I'm like, great. Yes, that sounds unique. Yeah, that. <laughs> but you can't find unique experience anywhere. You can, and especially that area of Virginia. It's like all of Northern Virginia. Virginia, it's like one exit to the next. They're literally the towns mirror each other. They just put in these humongous shopping centers that all have the same exact stores. And yeah, it's Walmart every ten miles. Walmart yeah. every twenty miles. Yeah, and that's where everyone congregates. It's crazy. Yeah, it's sad. Is yeah. what it is. But so you're living here. All right. So let's go back. So you come out here. Uh, with the crew mm-hmm. the first time and yeah. just watch your friends, you know, lose sense of their, their selves and <laughs> like, I got to go home. <laughs> and then you split after that. How long did it take you to leave? Uh, okay. I lived here for, I managed to stay in for like two years and then I went through a really bad breakup with the girl I'd been dating since college. And then that, that, that threw me back. That was the first trip where I went back. Was and, she here with you? Yeah. She moved here w- with me. And, uh, uh, and then she started like wearing like slinkier clothes and, mm-hmm. and, and everything just went downhill really fast. You You're know? losing her. Yeah, she, yeah. <laughs> you, you, you were here to make it. She was here to find somebody who already made it. Yeah, and that's the thing, too. When you move here as a young kid, you're right out of film school. You're 21 years old, and it's like there's guys who are 28 and, and have some real money, you know, yeah. and you're still kind of living on yeah. like a $25 a week sort right. of like, you know. And you realize that you're just there to provide them with new girlfriends. Yeah, exactly. You, you, you bring out your- <laughs> Fell for the trap right, right out of the gate. <laughs> And so that was like the first like hit the wall of like geez this is this is oh, tough out here this so is brutal heartbreak and no way in yeah it's like you you didn't have an agent or nothing right oh yeah. nothing couple just, ideas and just you, a, a few shitty scripts that yeah, yeah. you know I came out with and, and you're eating fat burgers and you know wondering how to make how many people were living in the house uh, at that point there were four of us yeah. yeah and yeah so that that was no that was no good in in a, an apartment in Burbank and I can remember still oh. the day when I when I found out that it was over with her I was working at the Crocodile Cafe and I in Burbank, which is no longer there. And uh, I went into the manager and just told him, I'm like, I don't think I can do my shift today. I'm just, I don't know. I've, my, my girlfriend just broke up with me. And I'm, and I'm sitting there, I'm like, don't cry. And I start crying in front of this guy who doesn't give a shit. And he's just looking at me. And I'm, he's like, all right, just get yourself together. Like, go take some time off. And he puts his hand out. And I, I assume that he's going in for like a hug, but yeah. he wasn't. He was going for a handshake. And I'm just like hugging him, crying with my apron from Crocodile Cafe. And I remember just walking back to my apartment, just like with my apron, like, wrapped up in like my white polo shirt with my name tag it's like fuck LA I hate this out here this is like the worst there's so many bad there's so many beautifully poignant bad parts of that story (laughs) the the, the misjudged hug and then the walk back with the work clothes (laughs) 
Terrible. Oh, man. And that walk back with your apron, you're just sort of like, oh, that's it. I got to go. Yeah, and man. how long did you, how long before you split? Uh, so I probably lasted about another two weeks. And then I, uh, <laughs> and then I was back to, uh, I, uh, I, I moved back to, but this was just temporary. I just knew that I needed to, uh, I knew I needed to get my swerve back on. I was having a really hard time doing that in Los Angeles. So I went back to Virginia <laughs> and uh, hung out there for the summer, basically. And then kind of saved up some cash, got ready to move back out here and assault this town one more time. So you went back. You you, you got the bartending job. You got laid. You got your, your back confidence in, back. back in the back in the swing, and then moved out here. And then things were kind of looking up. I got a job as a cameraman doing like uh, motion control for like History Channel and VH1, the type of thing where you're just like zooming in on. So you're still all about you know directing, trying to get in there. And at this point, because I'm getting paid to even operate a camera, yeah. and I have health insurance. It feels like I've made it. You know, I've I've come a long way. From what were those uh, cafe? What were those first scripts like? Uh, well, the first one I wrote was that called came out here with. Most Scariest, and it was about these Jersey frat boys who move into a haunted house. Yeah. And, uh, it was brilliant. It would have been awesome. It was like years before Jersey Shore. I, was, I knew that those guys would be hilarious. Yeah. You know? but you, so you you had a parody of them before they became yeah. a, a parody of themselves. Exactly. Yeah. I was ready. And uh, Had you had experience with New Jersey? No, I hadn't. I you, just in my You in invented my head, them? Yeah, yeah. I knew. I knew it was You right. were prophetic. <laughs> <laughs> it was the Nostradamus of reality television. I knew that they were going to be a hit. Now, have you uh, have you called that ex yet, just to say like, hey, what's going on? Remember me? No, I don't. I don't. I don't. I haven't wasted any time. Oh, good for yeah, you. I know. <laughs> uh, there's just too many things that are embarrassing about that point in my life that I just pretend like it never happened. <laughs> Each time I move back to LA, it's like this is my first time in this city. Yeah, <laughs> I did not exist before this. Time. <laughs> you ignore all the people that you used to work with. Like, no, you you have the wrong Danny. I'm, I'm out here for the first time. I just moved to town. I heard about that guy that used to work at Crocodile Cafe. It's weird. <laughs> Yeah, that's hilarious. You're not the Denny McBride that cried at the Crocodile Cafe. It's not oh, me. No, no, I don't know. I've heard that story before. <laughs> that stands out as a real downfall. Like the, oh, the, the that's your bottom. That's yeah. your first bottom. I hit rock bottom with that definitely. <laughs> but when I came back that second time, yeah, there was. Everything hadn't necessarily wrapped up with that ex at that point. Something right. even worse happened with her, which was I got back on my feet. I'm back on my feet in Glendale. Hey, oh, the, good. <laughs> moved right uh, one town over from Burbank. <laughs> you know, starting a new life with me and, and two of my other buddies who were still out there. And one day, you know, I'm starting. I got a job. I've got things going. I get this phone call. Uh, yeah. One of my roommates answered the phone, and it's the ex. Yeah. And he was not supposed to give the phone to me. I mean, that was a, that was a solid rule. But he he smiles. He's like, hey, the phone's for you. And this has been about six months since yeah. we broke up. Yeah. She is on the phone, and she's crying. She's oh, like, good. yeah. Danny, you got to come get me. The guy that I'm seeing just threw me down the stairs and like beat me up. You got to come pick me up. I'm just like, oh, I'm, st- you know, I don't want to be with her, but I, you know, I still am like tortured yeah, sure. over this. Sure. I'm like, okay, you know, I'm all like, you're full like of 21, range. yeah, 20. and I'm ready to do this. So I get my two roommates like, we got to go over there and kick this guy's ass. We're gonna go save her and. We get golf clubs out of my roommate's car, and like we're driving to Burbank, and I remember like satisfaction was like playing. Like we can have no hesitation. We have to just like pull up and smoke this fucking guy, and we like roll up to where she's at. You know, we're like looking for the street. It's in Burbank, and we pull up, and she's just standing there on the corner with this dude who's like fucking six five. He's like a personal trainer. He's this huge muscle bound dude. Yeah, and all of us just stay in the car. We're just like, okay, just come on. You can just come on in the car. You just get in here. <laughs> 
travel with these. Sorry, man. She yeah. just needed a ride. Yeah, she, we're here to pick her up. So she goes to the car. He doesn't let her in. He grabs her back. And yeah. so I'm in, I'm in this weird position where it's like, fuck, I got to, you know, okay, I guess I have to get out. So I literally get out of the car. My, like, none of my roommates come out. They just hand me the golf club through the window. And so I'm just standing there with the golf club, just like, come on, man, we got to. We gotta let her get into the car now, man. And, uh, and the guy just looks at me, and he he's like, "What the hell are you gonna do with that golf club?" On, he's like, comes up into my face, and yeah. it's just like, you know, I'm like, I can't believe you did a girl, man. What's wrong with you? <laughs> and he's like, "What are you gonna do with that golf club?" It's like this big challenge. So yeah. he had challenged me, so I had to do something with it. So I fucking swing back and crack him in his knees as hard as I can, and I just hit him with the shaft, and so it literally just breaks. <laughs> and he's just standing there looking at me, and I'm holding, I'm, I'm holding just the handle of the golf club, and instantly I just try to change something. Like, oh man. I mean, how messed up are you that you would hit a girl? And you need to say that dude just fucking pounds on me. He just <laughs> gets me. I mean, that was it. Yeah, he's got me on my face. I'm on the ground. I'm getting the shit beat out of me. My roommates are still sitting in the car, just like watching it on. The ex girlfriend like gets on there and she's hitting him, gets me off, and then finally I'm trying to get everyone in the car. We get everyone into the. Uh, at this point, it's a Hyundai Elantra. I had upgraded from the. Oh, Escort, good. Yeah, because I moved to LA. I mm-hmm. needed a, a cooler car. Uh, and the dude just rocks over to the passenger seat. Who my my buddy who's sitting there with the most useful weapon, which is a baseball bat, right. sitting there shaking in yeah. the passenger seat. The guy just comes over, opens up the door, and just grabs the baseball bat out of his hand, and then just starts going to town on my car. And it's just like, oh Jesus Christ, how this like this whole thing failed. And. <laughs> And so we we get her in the car and like get out of there. Yeah. And then it's like on the way home, it's just kind of like, who the fuck are you dating? Like, what what is this? Like, what's happened? And that's when she tells us that this guy knows where we live and all this stuff. So it's like we're screwed. It's like we find out that this guy has like a criminal record and he's like coming for us. And so me and my friends basically like I'm trying to calm my roommates down. They're pissed. Like, why the fuck are you getting us involved with this shit? And uh, and. You know, I'm like, it's gonna be fine. Nothing's fine. This guy's not gonna mess with us. He yeah. has his own deal with yeah. her. We yeah. were just picking her up. Yeah, helping out. Yeah, no, no bueno. <laughs> Next thing we know, we look out our window. There's like a fucking car of like six SUVs circling the front of our place. Get and, the fuck out of here! Oh, it was nuts. And so, like, my roommates are. We're in this really weird apartment complex that was backed up to like the L.A. River. Right. And so these guys apparently she had taken him on a date to uh, there was like this parking lot on the other side of the L.A. River where there was like a little carnival or something. So right. apparently they had been on a date before. So he knew where our house was oh, from across out. the river. Right. But you had to drive down like a mile to get across and come back up. So we look out. There's all these SUVs. They're screaming and looking up at us and they burn out. They're going to try to find the place. My roommates are gone. They, they're out to their car and I just grab a handful of stuff and like a kitchen knife and I'm like moving through this fucking apartment complex, you know, and it's like we're like the only white guys live in this apartment complex. Yeah. It's all it's all Asian families and it's just me. They're all eating dinner and I'm crawling around with this knife looking for my roommates and end up getting into the parking garage and I get to my car but my roommates cars are still there and I was like, fuck, these guys like they haven't got out. This this is my responsibility. So I'm You got to like, go back for them. I got to go back for them. I'm looking for them. We're all we all run into each other scaring the shit out of each other. <laughs> it's like we got in there and literally left and never went back to that apartment for six months like we were paying rent there all of our stuff was there we were so fucking scared we just never came back there until we had to move because our lease was up you know it was even to that day it was like tiptoeing in in disguises like trying to take like, things like, out like that dude had a guy there every yeah. day yeah, <laughs> just like, like we didn't know how 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 far reaching his criminal enterprise yeah. was yeah <laughs> Where'd you end up staying? Uh, we ended up crashing in Hollywood uh, with with some buddies that we went to film school with, and that ended up honestly like being like the best thing in the world because we were just living in the valley on the outskirts, and you know if you're gonna move to LA, 
in your early 20s, you got to do a little time in like a shitty apartment in Hollywood. Yeah. At least for a few oh, months. Oh, yeah. And, and some people start in the valley. I think the valley is that weird area where it's like, it's either going to, that's either, you're either going to survive that or you're not. Yes. And yeah. you left once. Now, did you stay in town that time? I, I stayed in that time until uh, the first acting guy I got, which was All the Real Girls. So I was there for like a solid year, left to go do All the Real Girls. And uh, and that was the first thing I had ever acted in. Yeah. Green, Green had got that film and he had an actor pull out at the last minute right and so uh he just called and asked if i would come do it and you know really only based on the fact that we would act in each other's student films and so right. he knew that i had you know yeah that I, that I would at least have my lines memorized right yeah that, that that's really what the extent of all my acting jobs have been is that i could memorize lines that's it <laughs> and then you left again and then i i did all the real girls which shot north carolina and that was great Came back to Los Angeles, and uh, and then that's when Jody uh, was like, "Look, I really am sick of." He was working in reality TV at the time. He was doing like Road Rules, Real World stuff, and he was like, "I'm I'm gonna blow my brains out. I got to go make a movie." And that's when he pitched me the Foot Fist Way and was like, "Would you have any interest in writing this with me? Like, let's you know, I'm gonna go try to pull this off." And yeah, so then we wrote that script and went down to North Carolina and shot it. And uh, I just between all the real girls and Foot Fist Way, I just had such a good time being back in the South. Where, where when you fight people, it's just over, and they don't send you know yeah. <laughs> caravans of SUVs to finish the deal. Uh, and, and so I was just ready to kind of get back there and, and live back there uh, in the South. So like I after Foot Fist Way, I packed my stuff up in LA and was planning on just trying to you know make it back in the South. And well, what was the plan there, really? I mean, really, after, I mean, looking back, there wasn't a good plan. There was really just like you're like uh, you know I, I can rest my laurels. I did one part. And yeah, I'm gonna do this and, movie and it was here. kind of like also just trying to. I didn't know if I was on the right path. If I was like maybe I just need to be a writer and just like you know fuck, i don't need to write in los angeles like right, LA did, you have, me out. did you have the thoughts of like sort of like well there's gotta be a local film business yeah. here and maybe i get into community theater who knows i can <laughs> i can shoot industrials who knows so on some level you'd had enough again yeah i i, I and it was i think it was just because we had such a good time being back in the south there's just something for me personally like every time i get off the plane back in the south i just feel at ease i just you know it's just, because it's where it's you grew easier. up it's and, and yeah. you understand things you understand how things work like oh exactly. that guy's an asshole here yeah. he comes yeah sure enough but out here you're like okay they're all assholes in hiding (laughs) and somehow or another i've got to learn how to talk to them (laughs) exactly and it was it's exhausting (laughs) (laughs) and so i moved back that time which i thought was going to be for good and then as soon as i moved back i found out in november that like sundance got into that uh foot fist got into sundance and so then it was like, oh, well, you know. That was the beginning of the role. I mean, in the sense that you, you hadn't heard anything about it, that you made the movie. Yeah. And then he, uh, Jody, went and dealt, you know, did the paperwork and it exactly. got in. It got in. And then uh, as soon as it got in, everything started to change then. I mean, we got into Sundance and next thing you know, we're hearing that like Will Ferrell and Adam McKay saw the film. And, and that's really just when everything started to take off. We started like uh, that movie just kind of, even though it didn't have a distribution deal from Sundance, it just started getting passed around through town. And uh, we just started, I don't know, they're, they're just people were just kind of starting to be interested in the stuff that so we've been trying to do for years. Okay. So then, then all of a sudden it's like you're taking meetings. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> taking the couch tour, getting lots of free <laughs> bottles of water. <laughs> coffee? Anything? You need coffee? Water? Okay, yeah, we get you water. In terms of uh, integrating into this, uh, the the the, uh, the um, 
the comedy intelligentsia of this town. So it was Will and Adam that championed that movie. And then did you have any, because uh, there's a couple of camps. There's the, the Will and Adam camp. There's the Apatow camp. There's the Stiller camp. And you seem to be roaming freely through them all. Well, you know, with that, with Apatow, it's like they invited me to the set of uh, of Knocked Up. And, you know, I'd been a big fan of How'd Judd's. you meet him? Uh, it was, once again, just through that film. Like, you know, we had met with Adam and Will, and then uh, Judd had seen the film, and I had been honestly following Judd for a while. I mean, things like Cable Guy, I, I loved right. that. Right, that was a good uh, dark movie. And, and uh, so, yeah, they invited me to the set, and that was mind-blowing. You know, it was pretty crazy. And, you know, at this point, like, Will and Adam are, like, the only famous people I've ever met in my life. And then a week later, I'm, like, meeting Rogan and, uh, you know, Judd and all these people that, I, you know, I've been a fan of. And then it just started, like, everything just started happening, like, super quick. Like, met those guys, clicked with them, and really dug them, and... Uh, yeah, it was not. It was it was nuts. It was all happening really, really fast. So, what was it? What was the uh, the order of events? So, you did uh, Foot Fist Way. You were on Conan, and you did the character. Yeah. And then, uh, and what was the first big casting? The first big casting was Hot Rod. That was like the first thing I got. And so, I, I, I go to Vancouver to do Hot Rod. And then, while I was there, I got a, a, a like a supporting role in uh, in Heartbreak Kid and in Drillbit Taylor. So, I came back from Hot Rod and did both of those films. So, yeah. So, it was like in the course of literally like nine months, I went from you know smoking weed and sitting on my couch watching these people on tv to like just being thrown into scenes with them and uh yeah it was it was pretty nice so what direction did you take your uh your your spite and disappointment i mean when you're sitting on the couch smoking weed were you the <laughs> fuck that guy or or the uh i'm fucked guy uh it, it was uh it, 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 it was i would i wasn't i wasn't i didn't hold any anger towards anyone for my failures at that point <laughs> I was still enjoying what they were doing. Yeah. <laughs> so you were like, I'm never going to. Yeah. 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 It, it was just lying to yourself. Like, I could be a teacher. I mean, why, you know, <laughs> I, I, I wanted to do other things. I mean, I'm a fool for thinking I want to get in entertainment. So so you did that too, like the teacher thing. Yeah. I actually subbed for In a your while. mind. Yeah. Oh, you did? I substitute taught for a while. When I moved back to uh, Virginia that one time, I was bartending at night and substituting in the daytime. And, uh, yeah, and I was making an honest living. I was doing it. And okay, look at you. It's like I, I was a real guy for a little while. This is not all Hollywood bullshit. I substitute teachered and I bartended. <laughs> and I think the substituting gig is kind of what spawned Kenny because the first day that I was a substitute teacher, I was in there and it was just kind of feeling weird. Kenny anyway. Powers, it's fun. To, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like you know, I was in there and for some reason, like the very first time I like the first group of kids came in, I like had written my name on the on the chalkboard doing the shit that I remembered people would do when I was in school. <laughs> yeah. And like I just started unraveling with the first kids. I was like kind of introducing myself, and then all of a sudden I found myself like having to justify to these kids why I was a substitute teacher, just <laughs> telling them like I got real plans. You know, I'm like I'm just, this is a this is a fucking stop on the block for me. I'm I'm on my way back out. To LA after I save up some money and these kids are just looking at me just like we don't give a shit <laughs> we're not even listening no. what, year, what year were they uh, they were high school kids so those were probably like ninth or 10th so you graders. felt like you needed to you know, get like I needed to cred. justify yeah. and then I was like hey you know yeah, this is my full time thing yeah all they cared about was like Mr. McBride you smoke weed yeah. you know like all they cared about is if I smoked weed and, and what kind of car I drove did you give them that information I, I, I wouldn't I mean I would answer the, the question about the car uh, right which none of them were, and they all just thought you were like, "What kind of car you drive?" And it's like, "Oh, Hyundai Elantra." And they're like, Psh, "Motherfucker thinks he's he's a movie star." Yeah. <laughs> These are the weed thing you kind of deferred. Yeah. I don't yeah. think that's appropriate. No, 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 but I do drive a Hyundai Elantra. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it didn't impress them. No, they did, they weren't buying. <laughs> so that so that would be the natural evolution of that. Well, that's a hilarious moment that you, you know you feel that feeling like you're still comp a guy that's that self obsessed. Yeah, that, that he's still competing with anybody. <laughs> yeah, anybody. Kids, doesn't have a baby. Yeah, it just shows where I was at in my life. <laughs>
<laughs> so that didn't last long. It, it didn't last long. No. That's funny because I mean that that's weird plan B because I I you know if I in my darkest moments that that's where I go like well I could teach something <laughs> like you know, where where's like now now that everything's going good and it doesn't look like it's going to stop i mean i imagine that plan b shit kind of fades right well it's no i'm still like well you know at this point if it all was over i could at least teach some sort of college course maybe about screenwriting <laughs> you know it's like you still think that yeah i still think about that you know well, well if it goes tits up i mean i probably yeah. could get at least a gig at a community college oh maybe. no you could probably get a you could probably get a pretty cush gig at a real college on you know in a seminar course you know, just show up once a week uh, i would hang be out. happy with that too did you play ball? Uh, no, not at all. I was terrible. It was one of those weird things too with the show. Like I think Jody and I never even really thought about the baseball aspect until after we like set it up. And it was like a week before we were filming the pilot. It's like you should probably Jody's like you should probably work with like a real pitcher so you can see how to throw. And I'm like I was like fuck I never even thought that I need to know how to throw a baseball ever. And then we saw and I was like oh and I don't know how to throw a baseball. <laughs> You never did any sports in high school or anything? I, I, I was like, I ran track and then like- in, Really? Yeah, I ran track and then I was like, you know, a soccer player when I was a kid. Like in the South, I feel like everybody grows up playing soccer, but for some reason they don't end up watching soccer as no. adults. Yeah, I don't know. I, who, I don't know. Dude, you can watch it apparently. I yeah. don't know where it is. I, I, don't, I know it's a global sport and we're the last ones on the wagon yeah. for that. How did Eastbound and Down develop, though? I, 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 you just had this character? I mean, what was Well, he? it was, uh, you know, with, with Foot Fist Way, we definitely, you know, Jody and I shot that thing so cheap, and we shot it, I think it was like in 17 days altogether. And it was really the first time, we had written lots of stuff, but that was the first time we had kind of tried to write a comedy together together. Uh, because a lot of the stuff I would write was all over the place. I mean, I'd write weird fantasy stuff or horror stuff. You like know. What, fantasy stuff, like what? Fairy tale kind of. No, no, like not Harry fairy Potter tale. Or... Like weird drag, like movies about dragon hunters. And oh, really? Weird shit. You yeah. got a dragon hunter script yeah. somewhere? The Draven. Yeah. <laughs> He's half dragon, half man. Yeah. Oh, really? It's pretty that's exciting. A, that's the name of the. <laughs> yeah. This would be a huge franchise, of course. The guy who works at Crocodile Cafe wrote this. This would be a huge franchise, Hollywood. <laughs> the Draven. <laughs> Gonna have to get some T-shirts for yeah. that. At least <laughs> the Draven. What was the horror movie? Uh, the horror movie was like this weird, which I still think is a good idea. It was like back in the you know back in New Orleans uh, in the day when there would be floods, the uh, the coffins would like rise up from right. the uh, from the ground. They would like float out into the body. because everyone's buried above sea level. Yeah, yeah. And so they would hire these guys to basically go out in the swamps and uh, and like retrieve these coffins. And so it was this like really fucked up apocalypse now sort of dark horror film about these guys who like right you know, who go out into the swamps to go find the... this rich man the, the the body of this rich man's daughter. Yeah. Oh really? Yeah. They're on they're con- they're mercenary uh, corpse finders. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. In I... the eighteen hundreds. So. Oh, okay, so it's dated. It was a period piece, too. Oh, good, good. All the kind of shit Hollywood's looking for from a 19-year-old kid. (laughs) Period (laughs) piece. In an apron. Yeah, in an apron. (laughs) Crying. (laughs) Hey, Mr. Spielberg, the crying kid in the apron. (laughs) He just really wants to talk to you. Something about his girlfriend and the the Draven. Do you know anything about the Draven? <laughs> well, fuck, man. So, uh, so you, in terms of working with uh, w- with Jody, you, you guys, you, you had not written a, a straight comedy. He had written some. Or? No, he hadn't written them either, other than the Foot Fist Way. Yeah, it was just something for us. Like w- with the Foot Fist Way, we were kind of like. You know, when we started, we were kind of, it was the world. Like, Jody had grown up uh, doing Taekwondo. He was like, he's like a black belt. And I had taken karate growing up as a kid. 
So it was definitely a world that we were kind of used to and we knew about. And I think at the time, too, we had been, we had, both of us really fell in love with the British office. Like, we were, like, obsessed with, like, how, like, just, yeah, like, a, how yeah. funny it was, how awkward it was. And I think for us, it was like, we want to make something that has that sort of tone right. where we can balance that line of, uh, of drama and comedy. And that was really kind of when we started the uh, Foot This Way. We were just sort of like, you know, kind of showing this world that we had both been exposed to, this world of Taekwondo in, uh, in the South. And we had such a good time kind of writing a character like that that was, you know, just a yeah, son the of world a bitch. Was, and the world was very established and specific and kind of unique. Exactly. Right. And then as we started writing, we just kind of like we were making the main character such an asshole. And that really wasn't even our goal when we started. It was like just kind of coming out when me and him were working together. And we had such a good time kind of dealing with that, with, like, yeah. trying to, like, find a main character that is such a shithead, but trying to figure out a way to, like, find an audience to dig him, that we really wanted to do it again. Because, right. you know, it, our time on that was so tight and small, we just felt like we could do something more with it. And instead of trying to set up another movie that would just be, like, a remake, right. that's the first thing we kind of pitched to Will and Adam when we met them. We're like, we want to do, like, a TV show where this is the kind of character that you would get behind, ultimately. And it just all started to kind of fall into place from there. We, you know, we were, we kind of used the idea of me substitute teaching and that sort those sort of weird thoughts I had there of like all right well what if it's a guy who comes back to his town and he was like a hero at some point I was like well what why would he be a hero and we went through all these different scenarios and finally we kind of landed on you know that he was a pitcher and to us it was just like this is a position where the guy's in the middle of center of the game all attention's on him and all that goes away and now he's just at the center of a classroom and he's just trying to act like it's the same thing <laughs> But in terms of being an asshole, it's it's weird because that character is, is such a like his, his and I you know I mean just talking to you now I mean you, you just play it straight like you're just but you know he's clearly at odds you know, with himself and that nothing's going to really work out but he just keeps plowing along and that makes him a sympathetic character because an asshole wouldn't be appealing no. but because the guy is so cocky despite the fact that he's delusional is what makes it good right yeah it, it, it it's a lot of fun writing that as well I mean just trying to like did you have those discussions though about like you know how's this guy going to remain sympathetic at the time we wrote the first series we didn't even really understand enough about what we were doing to kind of like think that that would even be an issue we just right. were like oh it'll be funny people will get along right. with this and then as we started going through it just in the natural process we started kind of being drawn to the moments where there was like oh there's like weakness here like this is kind of interesting and so it was something that kind of definitely developed as we were doing it we weren't really sure what we were doing at that point you know but is that something that like you know some part of your brain in terms of writing scripts and having studied film that you started to kind of you know, formulate. I mean, I know you're performing, and there, there was funny there, but in order for it to have some humanity, you kind of you, you, you start finding those moments of weakness, and that's the kind of stuff that starts to make you feel like you're you're onto a story that's like worth telling because it's like when you're right, you know, when you're finding these like, well, what would make this guy upset, and like, what you know, how does he show that? Uh, yeah, and that was kind of like for us what kind of showed us there was like some depth here that we could get away with what we were doing and, you know. And actually have a human story. Exactly, exactly, yeah. And how did you, like, the the dude who plays your uh, the sidekick... Oh, Steve Little, yeah. Where'd you find that guy? We found him casting here in Los Angeles. I mean, he was, uh, he read for it. Uh, you know, at the time, we, we wrote the pilot, and, uh, you know, we were we really wanted to shoot it in North Carolina because we wanted to have all basically just the like locals. Yeah. yeah. And so we did a little bit of casting in Los Angeles, but he was a guy who came in and read and just blew us away. I mean, we, we, we loved him, instantly thought he was hilarious. And at the time, we didn't even know what that character's arc was going to be. He was just going to be kind of like a sycophant that was there at the school, and we just dug working with him so much and he just honestly made me laugh so hard and we'd work with him that we just started kind of creating this weird like you know sidekick don quixote sort of like yeah, yeah. relationship between 
these two guys and you know it's, yeah it's it, like that that line between kind of tragically sad and hilarious yeah. is really that's a tough one to ride it really is <laughs> and he is just like little is just amazing he's like fearless too like we we just love writing stuff for him it's like do you think do you think little will get naked and fuck this prostitute you know it's like yeah let's write it let's put it in let's see if he will <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're, you sit there and go, he's doing it. He's doing it. I can't believe it. The best thing is, like, in the second season, like, uh, when, when his character's introduced, he's, like, having sex with, uh, with I guess, Sugar Snap, like this prostitute. It's the first time we've seen his character. And in the when we're when we're shooting it, I mean, it's all, like, that, that's the most hardcore thing at that point we had done in the show. We're like, man, this is crazy. Like, Little's naked. He has, like, a sock over his penis, and he's really just kind of, like, going to town on this chick. And he... Uh, you know, when he was started doing, he started improving. He was like saying, "Like, look at me, mom. Look at me." You know, and it was just the weirdest thing to go to. We're like, "That's insane." And and what, what kind of makes it more insane is when you're at the premiere of the show yeah. and Steve Little's mom is there, right there in the audience and just watching her son saying, "Look at me, mom." And he's, it's just so. And, but awesome. I wonder. But she doesn't necessarily know that he improvised that. <laughs> yeah, no, that was all scripted. That, uh, yeah. that was a message to her. <laughs> That's nothing to do with you, really. Yeah, the fact that it was improvised makes it even more. Uh, <laughs> How did you come up with the baby device? I mean, where where did that? How did you? When you were like, okay, we got to do another season. We got picked up. Where the fuck did we go with this guy? Y- you know, our we the whole time we kind of did this. You know, t- for Jody and I, it was like we really even when we set the show up, we didn't want to do a uh, a movie version because we thought it would kind of be retreading what we had doing. We that ninety minute structure of this kind of story, we thought like the beats that he would have to go through would be too obvious. Like, okay, he's an asshole here. He learns something here, and he's yeah. better here. And so for us, we were like, well, this could just be a crazy way to like tell like a four or five hour story, you know, which we could never get a comedy greenlit that'd be four hours long in the movie theater. So for us, we were, we weirdly were pulling from shit like Lonesome Dove and Thornbirds. We were like, this is like this is our you know, oh really? Yeah, this is our rich. Man, poor man. You know, like this is this insane, <laughs> insane miniseries. And so we kind of always had like we never kind of thought we would ever be able to do more than the first season, really. right? So we kind of wanted the first season to stand on its own. But we had this plan like if we get to do this to the way we want, it'd be three seasons long. The first season deals with what it deals with. The second season is fucks everything up and goes to another country. And then the third season, he basically has to deal with the repercussions of like getting this chick pregnant right. at the end of the first season. So that was that was all on the table. That from was the beginning. all on the table. But we never we never thought we would ever even get to the third season. Like we really thought at the first season would be all that we'd be able to do. So the other country was it just was it vague how you would get him there initially? Or did yeah, you- it was kind of vague. we we kind of imagined him in the Dominican Republic, and then we went down on a, like a scout there, and we're like, yep, fuck shooting down here. Let's go. Somewhere else, <laughs> and you ended up in Mexico. We ended up. We actually ended up in Puerto Rico. We wanted to. Uh, I shot Heartbreak Kid in uh, in Cabo, and we were there for like a month, and we all lived in with the Fairley Brothers in this awesome resort. I mean, it was like one of the best times shooting ever. And so I was like, man, we should we should write this shit. What did you shoot there? The Heartbreak Kid. Oh, right, right, right. And uh, I was like, we should shoot the whole next season in Cabo. I mean, it would be good living down there, but. Uh, you know, but then all that cartel shit's going on, so like HBO <laughs> wouldn't let us go down there. Yeah, it's not good for uh, yeah. for Americans down yeah. there or anybody really. Yeah. Oh fuck, that's scary. But Puerto Rico is fun, right? Puerto Rico is a blast. We had a great time down there. Yeah, yeah. So, all right, now in Tropic Thunder, I thought you were. I love that role. Oh, that it was a lot were, of fun. Yeah. And and that I love that movie. Yeah, and that was a smart fucking movie. It was really smart. I mean, the moment I I met Ben on Heartbreak Kid, and he told me about Tropic Thunder, and like let me read the script, and I was just like, damn, this is going to be amazing. And like then once the cast started lining up of all the guys he had involved, I mean, it was just insane. I mean, yeah, you know, just just Where, incredible. Where'd you guys shoot that? That was in uh, Kauai. So I was there for like three months in, in, in Hawaii, and you know that. The first scene of that movie, you know, where it's like you reveal that it's a movie, that was like a three-week shoot. 
and everybody was on set every single the day. The war scene. Yeah, the war scene. Yeah, yeah. And I'm standing up in a tower, and it was like, that was the craziest thing, because for three weeks, I had no idea whether they were going to get to me or not. So, like, every single day is, like, waking up nervous, just, like, not stomach and knots. For your first scene. Yeah, for the first scene. And what movie was this? Is like, your fourth movie? Or? Yeah, yeah. This was, this was, yeah, this was the fourth movie, yeah. But this was big. This was big. And yeah. there were a lot of big stars yeah, in this yeah. one, and uh, they didn't get to me till literally the fucking last day of the thing. So, it was, like, three weeks. I'm just, like, can't sleep at night. I can't eat any food. <laughs> Just waiting for your, your, your joke <laughs> yeah. beat. Which yeah. Basically, was like, now what Yeah, was exactly. It? <laughs> and it was just like, that's what I was afraid of. What the hell's wrong with me? <laughs> and what was it? You you had some scenes with Nolte, right? Yeah. yeah I mean, I, I remember that, that. That was the relationship you had with him. It was pretty. That was honestly my favorite part about doing that movie. Is like Nolte and I had the same schedule, basically. Yeah. And we were staying at the same resort. Oh, yeah. So, it, you know, in the daytime, there you know, when we were off, it was like, well, Nolte's off too. Maybe we'll see if he wants to go, you know, snorkeling or something. <laughs> Did, did he? <laughs> yeah, we hung out definitely on our off times. It was amazing, and he's such a cool dude. I mean, I, uh, I've i been a fan of his forever. Oh, right, and, yeah. And just nuts. I mean, he comes onto the set, and it's like, you know, I mean, he's like doing his own stunts, like running around, jumping, and as soon as the cameras come on, it's just like, whoo, glaze comes over his eye, and he's just, you know. In it. Yeah, it, it, it just pretty insane to watch. Did you, were you a fan of North Dallas 40? Do you remember that movie he did with Mac Davis about the football players? No, I. Uh-uh. What was what's some of your Nolte one? I mean, like the other, like he's been around for so long. He did that Beatnik movie where he played, uh, he played Neil Cassidy and Heartbeats, and like he's been around so long. Yeah, like, what'd you guys talk about? I mean, you know, he would talk about. Uh, he talked about how he got arrested when he was in his youth for like making draft card fake draft cards, and uh, I mean, he has a he has a lot of of pretty insane stories, and uh, he. Uh, God, what was uh? Yeah. Did you go snorkeling? Yeah, yeah, we went snorkeling. <laughs> <laughs> so you're underwater. You saw Nick Nolte just sort Sporting of to puffer fish. <laughs> I see it. <laughs> That's awesome. And you, you got to keep a straight face with that shit. You can't just yeah. You got to be cool. <laughs> but did you have that feeling? Because I get that feeling a lot in the garage. You know, uh, like you know, you're sitting there you know, next to your hero. And then all of a sudden you're like, hey, just a person, just a person. Yeah, you remind it, yourself, just it, people. Exactly, exactly. He uh, and he's just such a nice guy too. On top of it all, it's like he really is. Uh, yeah, he's just a, he's a, he's. Have a you been dude. watching Luck? I, I have been watching Luck. I feel like with all those big dramas on HBO, doesn't it feel like it takes a few episodes and everyone sometimes, all of a sudden sometimes it takes for it to be off the air after yeah, five seasons. And then everyone goes nuts. Yeah, yeah and everyone's <laughs> like, like, I watched The Wire in two weeks, the entire <laughs> thing. Like, because it was one of those things, and the same with Luck or any of them. Like, I never did Deadwood, but sometimes you know, you you you're like, I'll try this out, and you're and you're already in the middle of the third season. It's like, there's no fucking way that I'm going to get back in. I don't know what's happening here. Yeah. And there's no way to pick up on it. It kind of excludes you sometimes, yeah. So I talked to, uh, I might as well just get your side of the story. Okay. <laughs> Give it well, to me. Well, no, because uh, who was it? Bill Hader? Was it Hader who was on the podcast? Oh, yeah. T- he told that story about me smoking weed in the limo. <laughs> <laughs> This is a very good story. You, it really showed who you were. were you, what what happened there? Uh, I think you know that we we were like watching some movie or uh, for, for some reason there was a limousine involved. I can't really remember why. Yeah, we were out for the yeah. night somewhere, and Andy and Akiva had hooked up this limousine, and we were pretty drunk at this point. We'd been drinking all night, and I don't know what happened. I mean, someone had given me a pipe or a bowl. Sure, and I'm in the back of the limo, and I hit it, and the bar, and the driver comes out, and he's just like, "No, no, no weed in here," you know, and. 
he's upset as he should be. I shouldn't have been doing that, you yeah. know. And uh, but he just like kind of yelled so much, and it just I just I don't know. I just something snapped to me, and right in front of him, I just smiled at him and just hit it again. <laughs> and he was like, "Get the fuck out of there!" And I instantly I was like, "You're right. I'm being told I saw. I'm so sorry. I can't believe I just did that to you." And got out, and all no one stayed with me. All those guys left in the limo, and I'm literally just in Vancouver by myself with this <laughs> bowl. It's like, oh my, hit it out here by myself now. <laughs> It's funny. Was that one of those moments where you're like, I'm fucking Danny McBride. <laughs> and like within seconds it dissipates. You're like, oh, I'm just an asshole. Yeah, right? this is just like one of those cocksucker Hollywood moves. What's happened to you? <laughs> oh, it's so lucky you caught yourself. Yeah, I know. I caught myself. Pulled myself back from the brink. Yeah, yeah. you didn't cry either. Yeah. Yeah, I so didn't you- cry. I had grown up a lot. <laughs> He went in for a handshake, and I hugged him and cried on his shoulder. <laughs> oh, fuck. Vancouver's cool. I was just up there. I love it up there. How so long did you awesome. stay up there? I guess we were up there the whole summer. We were up there for almost three months, I think. Yeah. It's so cool, man. Yeah. It's, it's pretty. A, it's, a nice, it's a nice, nice city. Everything shoots up there. We actually just did some pickups last week. We shot that down in uh, Wilmington, North Carolina, and Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. So that was familiar. Yeah. Great. We love working down there. It's awesome. Uh, you know, when you shoot in Wilmington, too, there's no direct flights from Los Angeles. So, like, it, just that layover is enough to scare executives from, like, coming to check up on you. Oh, good. Yeah. So you got free reign. Like, they're not going to make it down no. here. No, they got <laughs> to transfer to a little plane with no special treatment. They're not going to. That, that was almost kind of what the deal was the first season is, you know, we were, they, HBO really let left us alone the first season. They never came down to check on us, really. They didn't really fiddle with us too much. And we came back and started delivering the episodes. And we delivered, like, the first three and it was just radio silence for like a week and a half really was that after like because they were transitioning at some point i mean carolyn strauss was leaving and sue was coming in who were you working with well, over there? well we sold the show to carolyn but then she was gone so right we, so it was you know there was a whole new group of people who right uh, you know that's always scary right it, it is scary because like at least with at least with carolyn she knew what we were going for and right. so with the new people it, you know uh, you know, it was one of those things where we delivered the first episodes and they were basically like, what the fuck is this? This is like, this character sucks. No one's going to want to watch this. And they were really pushing for us to change it. They just like, I don't, they didn't really know what we were kind of going for. And I don't think they thought that it would work. And we kind of got into this little bit of a showdown with them where they were just kind of like, you know, if you don't want to make these changes, then, you know, we might not promote the show. It's not going to be a priority of ours. Kind of, it was kind of a you know. I think so. They're not like we're not going to pull it because we paid for it, but you know we're going to yeah. It's hang like when, to drive. when they like gave it to the press. I think I had we had heard stories that like they just gave the pilot in with like the Kevin Bacon movie. It was like kind of jammed in the back. It was <laughs> like, just like like an additional DVD. Here's this. Here's <laughs> yeah, this like little thing in you know? the press package yeah. for another thing. <laughs> it's like a B side. <laughs> but uh, but then we started kind of getting like some positive reviews for it, and I do think as the as the season went on and they kind of saw what we were doing, they started to get it. Where we those first few episodes are. Are pretty rough and uh you know and they, they don't really have the arc of the character in there yet so right. as they saw that they started getting behind it more and then when we kind of got an audience like come the second season they were literally just like you know what we had pegged this show wrong we really dig the show we support it and they 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 are they've been amazing to work with they let us well, do what we whatever we want that in and of itself is an amazing moment yeah. to hear an executive say we pegged this wrong uh, yeah. clearly we waited long enough for people to make up our minds for us <laughs> <laughs> they they and it's like that you would I, I thought for sure then well the next season they're going to say they were, that that they had misjudged it but they're still going to probably give us the same sort of notes and it wasn't at all I mean they their notes were always like they out of working with different studios like HBO's notes are like the best they're yeah. never notes about like this is too far they're literally just notes that are yeah like oh, what's with his beard it's a legitimate note like oh, yeah this oh. this this beat doesn't make sense you know like and it's the first time I've ever had that with anyone I've ever worked with where 
the people we're working with completely get what we're doing and they you know they're collaborators on it where some of this other stuff we've had to develop it's like you get these notes and you just look like at what uh, you know when we were developing your highness I can remember and maybe they were right we probably should have listened to some of their notes <laughs> <laughs> But they were at a different point. You're yeah. like, fuck that, man. Well, it's just, you know, when, I think whenever you're doing something that's, like, filthy, like, that's kind of the point of it, you know? Yeah. It's like, if you start trying to water it down, it's like, well, you're just going to end up with something that, you know, once it's- I chop the Minotaur's dick off and wear it around my neck, like, we're going to lose anybody who's not into the filth at that point. So why trim the filth down right, throughout right, the whole right. thing, you know? Yeah. yeah. we got to push it all the way yeah. out. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> What is some of your, like, in terms of that, like, you seem to be a horror guy and, a, like, a fantasy guy, but, I mean, are those, in terms of your comedy and pushing it to that level and, and staying out there, I mean, what inspired you? What are some of the uh, movies? Uh, when I was a kid, I mean, like, my favorite movies when I was growing up were things like, you know, like The Goonies or Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I love the original Bad News Bears. It was, like, one of my favorite films of all time, and... uh God, what else? I mean, Ghostbusters, like everything that any kid in the 80s grew up on cable television. You, you know, loved it. Like, loved it. I mean, I used to like do weird shit where it's like I would always, I would like take a tape player and we didn't have any of the paid channels and I would just like record, audio record the movies that would play on TV and just like walk around my neighborhood just like listening to Mr. Mom and just Seriously? Like, yeah, I just like loved it, loved it. It's interesting how many people I talk to who have gotten, you know, who have gone on to write comedy and perform comedy have done shit like that. Like Apatow used to transcribe SNL sketches. Uh, who else was it? I, like there were so many people that did this weird obsessive shit with comedy. Like because there's some part of you that thinks like there's uh, some sort of magic to yeah, this. Yeah, I and can it, just like embrace my, it. Flood myself with this all the yeah, time. And, yeah, and, and like and also the relief of laughing is amazing. Like were you an isolated kid? Were you like that kid who was like I'm not gonna. I'm just gonna. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I had I had friends and shit, but yeah, I definitely had my alone times where I was just like. <laughs> Why is he? Why is he listening to Mr. Mom? <laughs> listening to it. Yeah, listening to Mr. Mom, and for whatever reason, Hot Lead and Cold Feet with Don Knotts. That was the other one that I like. I, I would listen to all the time. I just loved it. Don Knotts. <laughs> yeah, he was funny. He was funny. Yeah. But what about serious movies? Uh, I didn't really start getting into serious movies until I started getting into college. Like I was definitely. Like, we had to study them. Yeah, we had to study them, yeah. and like uh, Intolerance, D.W. Yeah. Griffin, exactly. Like, yeah. The montage, like oh fucking yeah. oh Jesus Christ, <laughs> yeah. Is this right? It seems like he wanted the Confederacy to win. It's not about that. Don't worry about about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing he pulled this off, right? But Chaplin or any of that shit? Did uh, you have to watch all that in school? We had to watch that stuff. But the stuff I kind of gravitated towards is a lot of like the films like the 70s, like Robert Altman. The I best, like, right? The best. I mean, like things like McCabe Nashville and Mrs. And Miller. Yeah. I mean, McCabe and Mrs. Miller, I fucking watch over and over uh, again. He's just so good. And, and, and really his style, I think, is uh, that's kind of what we really wanted to do with what we were doing in comedy with like that level of improv where you could just let these cameras go and just let people kind of just go on these long runs and uh, – you know, honestly, with uh, do you do that with uh, with uh, with, with Eastbound? Yeah. yeah, I mean, we just almost every single uh, scene we do, we'll we'll set up uh, cameras on two different dolly tracks and just like let the cameras row back and forth, and we just run out each mag and just really, yeah. and you just improvise most of it. We 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 work really hard on the scripts and make sure it's all there on the page, right? And once we get like a take or two of that, and then we just open it up. I mean, it's you know a lot of the stuff, you know, it's. A lot of stuff that comes in the show definitely isn't stuff that we had written when we first set out. And uh, 
that's why guys like Steve Little and stuff, you know, these guys who can just improv naturally, it just kind of just adds this element to it. As long as those character arcs are there, we're, we're, we're never precious about anything we've written. He's a Groundlings guy, right? Yeah, yep. And he comes from that. Yeah, I mean, how are you with improvising? Uh, I think I'm good at improvising. Maybe it's just the writer in me, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I prefer it. I like it better. It's, to me, it keeps it exciting. It's like saying the same lines. I just don't have any, I don't have any training, really, you right. know, professional training. So to me, it's just like saying the lines feels like, all right, get this shit done. Okay, now we can start doing it for real when, you know. where do you think that came from though your ability to perform was there a moment in your life where you're like yeah, I'm fucking I got this <laughs> it, no it, it hasn't I haven't found that moment yet <laughs> I still on everything I'm just like they're gonna find out I don't know what the fuck I'm doing and I'm out I think that everybody yeah. creatively thinks that on some level have you tried any really serious shit because uh, it seems like you could do it, like because you talk about Michael Keaton, you like Michael Keaton. Love Michael Keaton. Yeah. I mean, the, I you know I ran into him recently. I've been in touch with him. I ran into him at an airport, and he's you know people forget just how fucking huge he was and the amazing thing he did from really moving from comedy into almost anything he wanted. He was the best Batman, really. Yeah, he was the man, wasn't he? He was. So, do you have any? Have you been offered anything where you can? I mean, I think Up in the Air was probably the closest I've come to like really doing something kind of dramatic. Even though that's like you that know, was a sweet jealous. part, though. That, I mean, that really played to your kind of like you know the cocky but humble guy. Yeah, and that, but, was, that was that was a lot of fun. I mean, I definitely would be. You, into you acted doing the fuck out of that. I, I tried to act the fuck out of it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it definitely read because you you, know, you have that. There's something that you have which is this kind of like you know uh, that, and I think you're very aware of it. There, there because you're not a bullshit artist, but you you can play them pretty well, right? I can, and and that there's that bullshit artist, the bullshit artist with a heart, yeah. You know, that, like the guy that's who's, the corner, the I guy have. who's tired of his own bullshit deep yeah. down. <laughs> And that thing was like one of those other experiences where it's like that was that scene with Clooney is like the first day on the set. Just got at to the bar. It. It's the one where or in the school room. In the school room. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So like you know, I'm literally walking on the set of like Danny. This is Mr. Clooney, and it's just like seeing like and here we go, and it's just like, <laughs> <laughs> and that's the roughest part where yeah. he's talking you back into the marriage. Yeah. And so for me, like I like some of the hardest parts about these roles are just like not looking like a starstruck idiot when I'm like being filmed talking to these people that you know. And you feel it, yeah. You, yeah. Oh yeah, you just, yeah. It feels nuts. You're just the whole time like, what the fuck am I doing here? This is insane. That's George Clooney. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's hilarious. What were you thinking during that scene? That's George Clooney the whole time. Yeah, <laughs> this is Clooney. Imagine if I really was afraid to get married and George Clooney was helping me. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get along with him all right? Uh, he was great. I mean, super nice guy. I mean, everything that you you know you've heard about him is totally true. I mean, he was just you know couldn't be nicer. Yeah, he's one of those guys that's sort of like you know I can't believe I still love this guy. Yeah, exactly. Like you know, it, it never ends. You know, like what's he going to do to make me hate him? Yeah, hate nothing, nothing yet. at all. <laughs> Did you see that Descendants? Uh, I did. Saw it a few times. Yeah, amazing, right? Great, great film. Um, all right, so you seem like a guy who's had a good time. What's uh, the baby thing? Was that planned? The baby thing was planned. You know, me and my wife got married uh, a little over a year ago. Uh, not this past October, but the October before, and then I uh, I planted my seed in her in January of the following year. And so, uh, do you remember the night? Uh, it was yeah. We, it was the first time we ever had had, se- had sex before, <laughs> only once. And so, <laughs> and, and that's the only time I'm doing. This is the weird part about me, Mark. I just, uh, you know, fuck once and that's it. That's and it. I, <laughs> you know, and so I, the night was wonderful. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> but uh, it's been a trip, man. It's been insane. I mean, I love it. I mean, it's, you know. You were ready for the, I, I mean, I don't know what kind of party guy you were. But. I, I, you know, I partied a lot. Uh, 
but it was one of those. I think it was. I was just like bored out of my mind. I was ready for. I was ready, I was ready to stop thinking about myself and start like focusing on some something cooler. Really? Yeah. It was that conscious. Yeah. I mean, it was just one. I, I've always wanted to have kids, and I, you know, and it's like I'm not getting any younger doing this. And so for me, it was like I was, you know, I was. I didn't want to be like the guy who's like dropping his kid off at preschool. And I'm like 65 years yeah, old. Yeah, I'm going to be that guy. I mean, I don't have any kids. <laughs> I mean, but those guys are fucking cool. No, but. no, no. I have the same issue. You know, my issue with it is. Is because I've been married twice, but I never had kids. But now I'm with a girl that, you know, she's younger than me. She wants to have kids. But I have that fear because I remember that kid when I was in, like, first grade. Do you remember the kid with the old dad? Com- completely. Where it's like, I don't want to spend the night in his house. His parents are like grandparents. It's weird. <laughs> <laughs> are we going to have to help him? Yeah. Of- <laughs> What's going to be expected of us? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it seems to be popular now because these uh, weird, selfish boomers who like, you know, were completely careerists, all of a sudden are 50, they're like, I, 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 my life is empty. So you see a lot of them around. Yeah. Right? I'm just trying to make myself feel better. But I, uh, <laughs> So you have a little girl or- A uh, little boy. Oh, yeah. yeah, so that's good. Yeah, and uh, you know, it's like all my friends, I, I keep in touch with like, all the guys I grew up with. And yeah. like, I'm way, to me, it's like, this is brand new, but like, those dudes are all so far beyond me. They have like kids- Getting ready oh really? You got you got and, you yeah. got people on the on yeah. the phone where it's yeah. like, what do you do when they're? Yeah, exactly. You know, they, they, they you know back in Virginia, like people start having kids younger there. Oh yeah, like when you're deal. 15 yeah. usually, right? 16. Yeah, it's like you're, we're weird when we go back to Los Angeles and Key and I like my, my when you go back to Carolina. Yeah, and it's like we're Virginia. not married and we're in our 30s and we're just dating each other. It's just like what's wrong with why, you? Why, you have a girlfriend? What the fuck is wrong with you? Like you're you're in your 30s. <laughs> Step up, <laughs> man up, buy property. Well, wait, what kind of? So you did that, right? Well, that had had something to do with it. You're a little more settled. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you, don't, you didn't want to have uh, kids in Burbank. Didn't want to have kids while I was waiting tables yeah, at the you, Crocodile Cafe. Put Daddy's apron down. <laughs> oh, he messed up. Can, can I have a clean apron? <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a sad moment. But uh, well, now I'm going to get email about like how I said a boy's good. Girls are good too. But yeah, you had a boy. They're all cool. You're going to yeah. have another one. Yeah, I, I, I'm definitely going to have another one. You know, that way they can just entertain each other. And I, yeah, they, I kind of just want this so that I can not have to do chores around the house. That's right, like sure. That's a, it's been that's, a plan since forever. I think forever. that's a dad's plan. But what kind of calls do you make to your friends about the? What have you panicked about with the kid? You know, he's been a really chill baby. He's like, you know, he did he he in the beginning he wouldn't cry a lot. At, you know, at nighttime he would he would never wake up uh, crying. He would just we'd wake up and it's like, what is that noise like? That dude is talking to himself. What the fuck is he saying? He's like two months old. Dude, and, Mr. Uh, <laughs> Mom. He's listening to Mr. He's Mom. He's listening to Mr. Mom. Uh, but he definitely has like found his personality. I mean, it, but it's just strange. Like today I was like driving in the car on the way over here and like smell my fingers like, oh, some fingers smell like Declan's puke. You know, it's like weirdly <laughs> stirred my heart. <laughs> well, man, well, congratulations on all your success. I appreciate and, it. And uh, you're, you're a good guy. Thanks for hanging well, out. Well, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. That's it. Now you know him a little bit. I didn't. I I completely thought he was the guy that I saw on TV. What a sweet guy. Great stories. Enjoyed it. As always, how about a little of this? Can we? Let's do it. Pow! Look out. Yep, I shit my pants. JustCoffee.coop. Available at WTF Pod, as are a lot of things. Go to WTFPod.com. Get on the mailing list, kick in a few shekels, pick up the app, pick up the new first 100 episodes on DVD box set, pick up the new t-shirt, the new Coop uh, t-shirt, the Hot Rod t-shirt, make a few comments on the comment board, but be fucking nice. Jesus Christ, don't be a dick. Could you not be a dick? God damn, man. Anyways, do that. Fight the dicks. Fight the power. WTFPod.com comment board. Do whatever you want. Everything is there that is me-related. I'll be at the Guga Muga Festival this week. I think that the tickets that they have there are only expensive now. 
uh, you know, it was a special gig. I had no control over that stuff. But maybe I'll see some of you over there. What else? I guess that's about it. Uh, coming up next week, we got uh, Paula Poundstone and Killer Bees. Killer Bees, a, a very uh, renowned regional road comic who's been around forever, who I'd never met before. Uh, only plays the South and the Midwest primarily. He's been around since before I was around. And uh, it was it was something. It, it, you know, this is a world. This is a comedy, part of comedy that you don't always know about. All right. Uh, I have to entertain myself somehow. Stupid. Just sitting in here.